You're listening to the Dark Depths Podcast. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depths Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show, or just tell a friend. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Dark Depths Podcast, your go-to place for the modern legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I'm here with the party leader himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? I am hungry. How are you? I'm pretty good. You're hungry? Yeah. Oh. Did you not eat before this? Why, why would I have eaten before this? I eat when we finish. Oh. Okay. Well, I mean, like, I, I assume you'd have, like, a snack, something, you know, a carrot stick or... PB&J? No, I wouldn't eat a carrot stick. I'm allergic to carrots. Ah, that's right. Um, hmm. Celery stick? A little ant on a log, maybe? Ugh, God, no. <laughs> so, I mean, so celery is just like one of those things where it's not that I don't like it, but hmm. I don't necessarily like it. Like, it just, it's kind of nothing. Like, I just don't sure. understand why you would eat celery when you could eat something else. I'm not going to, like sit here and say, oh, like, that's a bad choice, like, oh, it's gross or whatever, because it's not, but just, like, when there are so many viable options, why would you pick celery over literally anything? I agree. I mean, like, I would rather have, like, peppers and hummus. Like, I think that's a comparable but much better tasting snack if we're trying to be healthy. Celery is just, like, crunchy water, which is not the thing I'm really signing up for when when I want a snack. But I know some people do like that, but eh. I do think if you use it as a vehicle to eat blue cheese, it's it's much better, though. I'll uh, take your word for it. You're not a blue cheese guy? Not really. I think I've had blue cheese, like, twice in my life, and once was with you. Okay. Because you were like, I love blue cheese. We were uh, we were in Buffalo, and... yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They asked they asked what side we want, and I was like, I, I don't care, I don't use them. And you're like, blue cheese! <laughs> All of the blue cheese. Okay. They had good blue cheese there, though. Uh, the that was like, for the ranch. I, okay, so this was, I forget what the name of the, if it was, uh, Nick Cummings, who was like a, a resident of Buffalo, was saying, you know, recommendations and suggested like two places to us. Um, I think he has a lot more suggestions than that, to be fair, but we, we took two suggestions. So one place was closed, um, and the other place was, like, the home of the um, buffalo, you know, buffalo wings, right? The home of buffalo wings in Buffalo. No, no, no. no that no. was not his second recommendation. What the his second recommendation? recommendation was also closed, and we ended up here <laughs> instead. Okay. So this is the third choice. Um, so, But, yeah, we ended up getting... You know, going to the home of the buffalo wings and eating those. But even at the home of the buffalo wings, they say to do it with blue cheese. So it's 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 gospel. Like you can't be deviating from this and having that devil ranch. That's not that's not what what we intended here. So makes me feel better. At least some confirmation that I was right all these years. I mean, I just typically don't use either. Uh, every every now and again, I'll use one when I'm feeling a little feisty. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just think like the I was literally talking about blue cheese earlier today, which is really funny. 
but blue cheese has like a like the perfect taste to complement buffalo sauce or you know hot hot wings whatever you're doing right it's a perfect complement to hot i feel like ranch is just like a mask of flavor rather than a complement of flavor that's my that's my big my big gripe with ranch sure <laughs> uh well what have you been up to this week besides i guess debating hotly debated uh toppings uh nothing nothing sounds right okay I mean, I don't know. The week just started. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I haven't seen you since, like, last week. So, I mean, like, was the weekend not eventful? Were you? Did you get to do any Commander Legends 2 Baldur's Gate events? So, I thought long and hard about if I wanted to do that. Um, and ultimately, I came to the conclusion that I generally don't enjoy EDH with random people. And so even though I was interested in trying out the set, I didn't want to, like, go and draft it and, you know, be all excited to have this good time and be like, oh, this was awful. Uh, so I thought I would wait, see if other people ended up liking the format or not. And then if I found out it was good, I would just later find four people I liked. Well, I guess three people I liked mm -hmm. and uh, draft with them. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that is definitely one of the things... That when we were talking about conspiracy, I think it was, I was like, I am not interested in doing this. Like, the people that we, you know, and no offense to anybody in particular, right? But, like, I do not enjoy playing group games with random people uh, that much. All, like, you know, I, I think it's hard to have the same intentions. And, like, as far as deck building is concerned, um, there's a huge difference between what I think is a fun, casual experience and what other people think is a fun, casual experience. And if I'm like, oh, we're going to, like, you say fun casual, cool, let me bring out my pre-con level deck. And you're like, cool, Armageddon, Jockalops. I'm like, okay, well, this is not fun nor enjoyable. Um, and I, I think, it, obviously, you get less of that, right, if you're drafting your, your deck there. But I also can imagine, you know, you drafting with three, you know, players who have been playing for four months, right, and are just learning the basics of the format, and you're just like drafting this really powerful deck and they're just like oh here's five color nonsense here and you're like oh i win you're like yeah you did it buddy it's like that's this is not fun and you've wasted like an hour and a half with people you've never met before and never will talk to again like that's not that's not cool yeah i so it's partially that but it's also just um a lot of it is the group games tended to evolve into like these politic things and sometimes those are fun, but like when you go into it with, especially if you end up in a group where it's like, okay, those two are friends and then like me and the fourth person are just like the two randoms. And then it's like, they're kind of teaming up and ganging up on you. And like, I, I just often don't find those games rewarding enough. And I think um, I also just have a lot of bad memories of EDH games taking a while between turns and like a lot of complicated stuff going on and people getting bored and like not fully paying attention and like people trading and just like i i don't want that i just want everyone to be paying attention and like i don't know there's money on the line so it probably wouldn't be that and it was probably being too snarky or whatever but i i, I don't know i saw people who went and said hey this was fun but this is a one and done kind of experience so like mm -hmm. if i'm only going to do it once i'm just going to make it count um 
That being said, I did actually really like Conspiracy, both one and two. Oh yeah, the, gosh, there was a conspiracy too. Jeez, yeah, no, I, I, I've never gotten into those kind of formats. I mean, like, I just like that's that's not my. We've talked about this before. Like, there's a magic for everybody, and like the conspiracy, uh, un, unhinged or un whatever set we're coming up next, Infinity or whatever, um, like any kind of alternate draft format or play style, I'm just like not interested in uh, the. The closest thing I get to that are, like, the, like, Mount Horizons, I think is fun enough. But, like, I'm not a huge, I'm not even a huge fan of, like, drafting Mount Horizons or any of those kind of supplemental sets. So I, I think the odds of me really, really digging into a, a set like this is pretty slim. But there, there are definitely some cool cards in the set, though. So, like, I'm excited to, you know, see and pick up some cards from the set, but I'm not really interested in this. I, I think if you wanted to do a Commander Legends draft, I, I would do it with you, just because, you know, once again, you're, for the most part, enjoyable to do stuff with. So, but I, I'm probably not going to jump into any of these formats myself otherwise. Yeah. Modern Horizons was a great limited format. I don't know how you cannot uh, be more excited about it. All those formats, like uh, Masters 25 and, like, Double Masters, like, they all just seem very unhinged as far as a draft format's concerned. It, it's like drafting a, a bad cube, and it and I, I just don't enjoy that at all. I, I do think, to I guess, to their credit, Mon Horizons and Mon Horizons 2 are a little bit better, but I also don't like... And I guess it really is that like that master's feel, and this is me going back to kind of time spiral. Like I hated that format because there's oh like, my this, god, I love time spiral. Nah, nope. There's too many things going on, and like I'm like trying to worry about the storm, and I'm trying to worry about echo, and I'm trying to it's like it's like what is it? just pick pick four things that you like and and stick with those. Like I'm okay with um like the Ravnica sets where they're like you know here's five different things and some lanes and. Uh, but, like, I don't like when it's ten different things that are vastly different, but there's some weird overlaps that, like, end up really just being sucked into one deck anyways. And I don't... That's, that's not me. I, I'm not a big fan of that. So, yeah. This is this is a me issue, though. Like, I understand, like, people people love Mono Horizon. People love Mono Horizons 2. People love Time Spiral. I just... <laughs> That's right, you're not a big Time Spiral, uh, Modern Horizons 2 guy either, right? Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I know people think it's one of the best limited formats of all time, and, like, enough people have shared that opinion that, like, I am clearly just wrong, but I did not enjoy my Modern Horizons 2 pre-release. I did a couple drafts. I didn't find them fun. I also didn't open anything, like, worth much, so that sucked because it was like, okay, well, at least if I'm not having fun, maybe I'll open a money card. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, just not a not a good experience all around, as far as I was concerned. Like, Modern Horizons 1, I loved so much, too. And it just made it that much worse when I didn't like the second one, right? Because I was like, oh, hype, like, this is one of my, like, favorite sets of all time. It's going to be so fun. Like, it's going to bring back the nostalgia. And, <laughs> and it was just such a letdown. Yeah, the... The people, the sets that people usually say are, like, the best sets of all time, I usually think are, like, some of the worst sets of all time. The only one I, I really like that I think is 
a, a popular choice among people is cons. Like, I love cons. I think that's a really sweet format. But, like, people love original Ravnica. I'm like, this is a terrible format. Like, I, I do not like this. Uh, but people ate that up, and people still continue to whack poetic about that. So, once again, maybe I'm wrong, or, you know, maybe I just have different taste than the average bear, which is very, very possible. I never did Ravnica. I, I loved cons. I had this uh, issue, though, that I consistently went 2-1. I basically had no other results. Like, every now and again, I'd get a 3-0 or a 1-2. Sure. But, like, 90% of my drafts were 2-1, uh, which on Magic Online is not good enough to get your money back. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was frustrating because I had just, you know, some positive win percentage. It's like... 66 win percentage is generally good, but if that's all you were doing on Moto, you were just consistently losing money. Uh, and I burned a lot of play points into drafting cons. Like, when I was done, I was like, oh, I'm at, like, $200. How did this happen? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was the one format that I was okay enough at, and I was in the same boat where it's, like, a lot of two ones, a couple three O's, and it was enough to balance it. But li- literally the goal was just to... Either open a fetch, because the fetches at that time were, like, you know, pretty decent. Um, like, open a fetch or keep playing, keep winning until, so you can op- draft again and hope, hope to open a fetch and, like, try to go infinite there. And I was like, yeah, this is not the best use of my time, but I, I'm going to try it anyways. I don't think I ever opened a fetch. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I, I opened a decent amount. Like, the... I think I had, like, I had a set of Flooded Strands, I had a, a set of Wooded Foothills, like, a decent amount. Like, I think I opened, like, Polluted Delta more than any other land for some reason. That was not a bad one to open, just really annoying to be like, okay, come on, I just need to get one, one more. Nope, no Windswept Teeth, just another Polluted Delta. Fine. Okay, here we go. Um. Oh. I think we've been tra- talking about draft for too long. Probably. Yeah, that's probably that's probably correct. Uh, should we talk about modern? I guess instead. Counter argument, uh, or okay. counter offer, I should say. We could continue to talk about draft until the podcast is done. <laughs> like forty-five more minutes of draft coverage. Oh man! So the underrated draft format of all time has to be Legion. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, let's talk. Uh, I was going to say Big Easy, but that's not what they call this place. Uh, let's talk about Dallas. What is the Big Easy? That's the... Uh, is that New Orleans? What is, what is the Big Easy? I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. If you uh, know at home, you know, just message us at <laughs> the Dark Depth Podcast. Um, anyways, uh, DreamHack Dallas was this weekend. And also they had, what, Command Fest uh, Richmond, I think, was this weekend, too. Uh, we had... You know, I guess for the U.S., it was kind of surprising to see two events like that on the same weekend. And not terribly close. I think there were people who were kind of debating going to one or the other. And I guess if you're in that kind of mid part, uh, I guess Midwest, right, it's kind of reasonable for you to have attended either one. But um, I think um, I saw a lot of pe- people posting pictures about Command Fast Richmond. It looked like they had a really good time playing some Commander. But in Texas, uh, they were playing modern, which is good. Uh, we don't have to go through everything, obviously, but some interesting deck lists uh, for this top eight. The one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, um, 
well, one thing that I don't think interesting at all, let's start here. Uh, Ethan Clark, congrats to him. Um, he's winning the event. I know him and um, Sol Maka, who was in second place, ended up actually splitting cash here, but um, it's still cool to see Mason winning. He's a, obviously a great 6-2 player. Um, so Mason uh, was playing a deck. I think that's obviously the best deck in the format right now. I, I, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but the four-color money pile, right? I mean, it's best name for it, right? Um, best deck in the format right now? I would be hesitant to call it best deck in the format, personally, but I wouldn't object to somebody else calling it that. Okay. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, I, I don't necessarily think it's number one, but, like, if you made a list of the top five and it wasn't in there, then there's something wrong. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah, I definitely think you, the four-color money pile or, I guess, four-color like elemental right? whatever you know there there are two distinct builds there so i guess you can call those two uh murktide regent like blue red and maybe you want to put like yogmaw maybe you want to put like hammer or something like that i don't know but i could definitely see this being at least a top a top three choice for sure yeah nothing super spice in the deck i mean like i think as long as you're playing run and six to fairy and omnath in the same 75, you're probably in, or if I wrong, 90, uh, same 95, uh, you're probably in really good shape. Um, have you, I'm trying to think how to phrase this, <laughs> have you seen, or do you feel like the Ren and Thick Teferi package, are you getting sick of it? I'm getting kind of sick of it. I don't, I don't know if you have that same vibe. I've, I've gotten bounced by Teferi way too many times. You know, it doesn't bother me that much, honestly. Um, the cards are obviously really good. Right? Like, I, I don't think anyone is ever going to argue Run and Six isn't good. Um, I totally understand that it's, you know, kind of played out. We've seen it left and right. But at the same time, I just, I think Run and Six is somewhat interesting. I think it adds some tension about like, hey, do I play my Ragavan on one? Are they just going to run and six it? Do I dash it? Or like, hey, I have two Ragavans, so we get the interesting counterplay of like, I'll play my Ragavan, they'll play their run and six and kill it, and then I'll dash a Ragavan and kill their, their run and six. Mm -hmm. I think it's somewhat interesting. Uh, Teferi is like kind of boring, uh, but at the same time, I have this weird feeling about Teferi where I get so mad when it's in play, and then I also just don't feel like it does anything at the same time. Yeah, the the big thing that always blows me with Teferi is the minus is just very easily the best ability. And it comes down to a lot of situations where you need to minus immediately. They recoup a card, which is great, and you can kill it. That's fine. It's the situations where they plus, and like that's the correct move, that it's just like, this game feels like it's over. Because like, I can kill it by playing a Murktide, but then they're just going to bounce it. Or I could try to stabilize by playing my Yawgmaul. But if I don't kill them this turn, they're, they're just going to bounce it. And, like, that's the kind of play pattern that I'm not a huge fan of, just because it feels like the game is over. This is not to mention the fact, the situations where, you know, they bounce, I don't want to say Murktide again, but they bounce their spell, and they're able to counter it on the way back down, and now they're just ticking, ticking up, and they're able to hold up something like a March, um, you know, 
or a prismatic ending at instant speed, and you're like, well, I'm just going to die now. So, this was good. Like, that's that's the kind of play patterns I'm not a huge fan of. I think Ren and Six, I think you're right, though, has been a little bit more interesting to play against. I do think it's a little bit more that goes on there, in, at least in modern, but... So yeah, to fair, I'm definitely getting tired of. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I blame you. My two biggest complaints about these cards are honestly... Uh, for Teferi, I really like playing Rhinos, mm-hmm. and Teferi's a nightmare for that deck. So that's mm-hmm. my biggest complaint there. Also, Bouncing Urza Saga. That's oh, yeah. really annoying. Really mm-hmm. annoying. Cannot stress how annoying that is. Um, but for Ren and Six, like, my biggest complaint is that I can't play with Sakura Tribe Scout, which I like playing with way more than I like playing with Arboreal mm-hmm. Grazer. And I don't know that I'd be able to play with it anyways with Ragavan existing, Mm-hmm. But I could at least, you know, I could at least debate that with myself. I mean, it's not even like the scout is bad with Ragavan, right? You you can at least trade. Like, that's not bad. I mean, not, not exactly what you want to be doing, but it is a body that is going to threaten to jump in front if it needs to. So, I don't know. Not the worst. Alright, so besides... Mason, um, the Solmaka, who is like, you know, for those who do not know, uh, Solmaka is like the godfather of rock, right? He's the one who um, kind of put the, the rock on the map, as it were. So, uh, playing a Jund list, I mean, pretty. It, I mean, reminiscent. It, it's basically just a Red and Six, or it's a Saga deck. Um, you do have a couple Assassin's Trophies in the main deck, but nothing super crazy there in the main deck. Um, some Tyler's Trackers, some Tarmogoyfs, we don't see any, no Liliana's, anything like that. But uh, we do have a copy of Unlikely since Hearst in the sideboard, but I mean, for the most part, kind of what I would expect a, a Jun deck to look post Luris Ban. I think the deck's at least a little bit interesting. Like the tireless trackers in the main, I think, are a neat addition. Kind of gives you some card advantage that like you used to get from Loris, but tireless tracker is just a way cooler card. And I, I love the way that it pairs so nicely with Urza Saga. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, like that's like. Did you? Like, I was just gonna ask. Did you get to see any of the coverage for this event? I did get to watch a little bit of it. I saw, uh, make sure I'm saying the right people. Um, I saw Anarog was doing the coverage, right? So this had, like, Cedric Phillips was on there, and, you know, they had some other people. I can't think of anybody else. I know I was watching uh, Cedric and... It was Cedric and Aspiring Spike was the pairing. Yeah, Aspiring Spike. There we go. So the quarterfinals was like Anarag and um, Zan Syed. And then okay. the semis was Anarag and Devin O'Donnell, a.k.a. Doomwake. Oh, okay. And then the finals was uh, Aspiring Spike and, um, and Cedric. Okay. But watching them cover um, cover this match was just a delight for me. It's like interesting banter or like just a really cool match? 
uh, one, you know, it was a good, it was a very strong commentary pairing. Uh, Spring Spike has never done commentary for anything before. I'm taking that from him. I'm not guessing, uh, <laughs> but I think he did a pretty good job. Cedric's obviously one of the goats, and uh, just watching. You know, two players who really know what they're doing. Uh, you know, you've kind of already established Sol Maka has been around. And if anybody knows how to play Jund, like it's him and Reed Duke, right? Like the, <laughs> that's who you want to go to for the rock. And I guess you can argue Brad Nelson. Um, and Mason Clark has been kind of putting on a show with Blink for a while now. Also a great player in his own right. Uh, host of a podcast where I'm sure he'll be talking about his run this week, Constructor Criticism. Uh, but it was just delightful because I make fun of John all the time. And so watching two players who really know what they're doing and then just watching, getting to watch Blink just kind of embarrass John was just so satisfying <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how do you keep up with an Omnath? You don't. I mean, like that's the that's the issue. Like you have a lot of, I think really, I think that the deck in general is very strong, and like you're able to grind up some games with Ren and Thix and Urza Saga, but like, and obviously Tyler's Tracker as well. But like, it's really hard to compete with the card advantage you get for that four color money pile deck. Like, just like the urine loops, uh, being able to Eternal Witness back your Ephemerate and blinking that along with a Solitude or a Fury, like it's really hard for you to have a chance to outpace or go bigger than that deck so yeah, yeah. So there was a point where they were like kind of at parity and then mason uh end of soul's turn like calls for an ewit and the commentators are just like oh that seems really good and then it was like a turn later the game is just like wildly <laughs> in mason's favor just because of like a simple ewit and i was just like this yeah. is I love this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that is... And I, I, I once again, I think this deck is actually really, really good. Like, I think it lines up very well against something like Hammer. Um, I, I do think with the main deck copies of, like, Nihil Spellbomb, for example, I think you're in a really good spot versus something like a, a Murktide deck, uh, Living End. It, it's just... It's just really hard to try to one-for-one four-color... You know, regardless of the variation, right? Like, I think it's hard to one for one them, and you know, this is this is kind of the point I think in the tournament. The soul got caught, right? Like, this is <laughs> this is not the matchup you really signed up for. So, um, something else that's notable about this top eight, though, it's crazy to me that there's two drum mid range decks. Mm-hmm. Also, two Yawkmoth is like kind of unusual. Yeah, the, the second one is uh, by Christopher Conant, and this deck does look a little bit different. It, it's a little bit, I don't want to say bigger, I guess more mid-range. It's probably the, I, I know, saying that about John Dex is weird, uh, but more mid-range, right? You've got um, that the actual copies of Liliana in the deck. Uh, this one actually is playing uh, copies of uh, Croxa as well as Season Pyromancer, so you can kind of grind out a little bit better. Um, into the late game with those two cards. Um, you've got also Riveteer's Charm, which I think is I've actually really liked in the games that I've seen it. Uh, for those who don't remember, it is uh, a black, a red, and a green. 
uh, for an instant. Uh, you get to choose one mode. Uh, either target player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker that they control with the highest mana value among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Uh, you can exile the top three cards of your library. You can, until your next end step, you may play these cards. Or you can exile target player's graveyard. Just a lot of flexibility in that kind of card. Um, and besides that, just a lot of effective removal. So, yeah, this is definitely one of those cards I or one of the decks, rather, that I think is actually really cool, just the fact you can kind of grind out these games. Um, the big thing between these decks that I, I think is kind of notable is that... Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> this deck is, one, not playing Urza Saga, which is, I think, one of the big pulls to uh, what Soul was doing. I think being able to recur Urza Saga with Renesix is just, just such a big game that... I think that's I think it's very much worth it, but I think if you're adding Liliana, adding Season Pyromancer, or adding Croxa, it's really hard to try to justify having a land that's gonna produce only colorless mana. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing too is like Soul was playing the copies of the uh, I want to call it Croxa's command, Colican's uh, command in the main deck. Uh, which I think is really good if you're expecting a lot of hammer, um, but not great otherwise. And I think that's something Christopher kind of said, eh, I probably can skimp on that. So even though I agree Earth Saga is a really strong card, I do get the draw to not playing it. Uh, you know, Drum Saga is obviously a good deck, but it's just like a good deck that like kind of uses Urza Saga, but it's not really a good Urza Saga deck. Right, like you are fine playing those those artifacts, like your Nile spell bombs. You don't necessarily mind playing the pirate spell bomb. Looked solid, but those aren't cards you're excited to play. Right, you kind of will play them sometimes depending on the meta game. You could definitely argue like, oh, Nile spell bomb in a Ren and Six format is pretty good, mm -hmm. and especially if you're expecting Living End to be one of the more popular decks, then the Nile spell bombs are really good. But once you cut the Ursa Saga, not only do you make your mana better, but you also get to drop those artifact slots. You don't have to play your Mistress Bobble. You don't have to play those Spell Bombs. And that gives you like five, six additional slots in your deck. And that really just kind of lets you do so much more. And like, it's also really hard to play Kroxa in the same deck you're playing Ursa Saga, right? And yeah, so now you sure. get to free up Kroxa, which works really well with Liliana, and it works really well with Season Pyromancer. So, you know, this deck, in a lot of ways, it just feels more cohesive to me, even if Urza Saga can also just win the game on its own. So, I, I don't know which is better, but I definitely see the draw. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, having the, the tighter mana, I think, is definitely worth it. And, like, you do get the one copy of Den of the Bugbear, too, so, like, that's, you know, a non-zero trade, right, for Urza Saga, like... It, there definitely are some benefits here. I guess it really depends on how good Liliana the Veil is going to be. Uh, I think Croxa, the floor on Croxa is pretty high still. Like Croxa is very rarely terrible. Um, Liliana can be really awkward in spots though. So I think it depends on how good Liliana is kind of expected to be. I feel like verse and once again we're just looking at the this top eight list here. Like verse something like. The Blink deck, I think it's not terrible, right? Like, you at least can get some things off the board, but, like, that's not exactly what you want to be doing. The plus isn't going to really win you the game nine times out of ten. 
Um, but the minus, I guess, does have some value there. Um, but it's probably better than, you know, something like, um, or like Earth of Saga is probably better than something like Colgan's Command. So I definitely see the appeal there. Uh, you also mentioned a couple copies of Yawgmaw, which, you know, I think this deck has very easily become a, a deck that is very important to the metagame just in terms of its impact and how, you know, how you prepare your deck and sideboard. Um, you know, these decks look relatively similar. Um, one is playing the Hapatra Vizier Poison, the favorite of mine. I love that card. Um... But, you know, besides that, the decks look relatively similar. Um, you know, besides the Hippotra, they're almost the same deck. Um, well, essentially trading Hippotra for a Grist. Um, land base is slightly different, but... Um, and then out of the sideboard, you do get some small differences there, but, um, you know, things like Thrun, as opposed to think, uh, and Crime and Punishment as opposed to more copies of um, Endurance and, you know, Magus of the Moon here. It's, it's very similar. I think we're seeing this deck essentially come down to what you what do you want to do in the sideboard, and do you actually want to play Hapatra or not? Or do you want to play Zulaport Cutthroat or Blood Artist? But I think at that this point the debate's gone and been settled that Blood Artist is probably better in the shell. I mean, my personal approach would be just copy whatever uh, Demonic Tutors is doing. Absolutely. That is that is the correct line. Yeah. It, it, one thing, he's just been playing the deck so much, and honestly, his his channel, if you haven't been watching uh, Demonic Tutors, is just, like, a great place to learn how to play this deck as well as, as Storm and Legacy. Like, you might as well just be watching that if you won the latest and greatest deck list. So... Yeah, if he's doing that, I think it's probably correct. I, I do like the idea of having the Magazine Moon in the in the sideboard, but I I still feel like that's like very, very cute. Like I feel like this deck doesn't have like enough basics in the deck to make boarding in Magus worthwhile. You have two forests and one swamp. You do have enough fetches to you know, find them relatively reliably, but You also have like twelve mana dorks though, and also if the card's just gonna be kinda lights out for your opponents, then it's good enough. They like them putting in Magus of the Moon against Amulet on turn two or three is very, very good. Them putting in Magus versus like an unsuspecting Tron player is very good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I think, you know, in this format where you're, people are able to play around Blood Moon um, just because they do have access to Bazeju, I think it is nice to have the Magus of the Moon as something that can't be tutored, you can't, like, expedition map, tutor up your Bethesda and get that off the board, like, you have to find a, you know, dismember or something like that, and that's obviously a lot more difficult for, for decks to do, so, I definitely see the appeal there. Um, have you played the Bring to Light Scapeshift deck recently? This, this also made the top four in the hands of Alth Romero. Uh, I know you have played decks like this before. I know our friend Joe has played this deck, uh, I guess, the most recently out of people that I know, but it, it seems, I don't know, it seems like a deck that isn't terrible. I mean, you're combining Ren and Six to Fairy. Um, you have the ability to uh, bring to light for Valky, which is never a bad thing, but you also do have Omnap and things like that in the deck, too. Like, it seems powerful. It's been a while since I've played it. It's 
good, but I don't really like it. Okay. Is it, like, as far as land strategies, like, this is, I guess, like, a more controlling land route as compared compared to something like Amulet? Yeah, I mean, this deck's just a lot like the four-color blank deck, except you get the combo kill instead of, like, the Solitude Fury Ephemerate package. Okay. So, not a terrible choice, just definitely not for you. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's just not my speed. Okay. Uh, you know, there also is a copy of Hammer, which I think has been pretty figured out, I guess is probably the nice way to say it. Um, I think now that we have kind of added the reality chip uh, to the deck, you know, people have kind of figured out what this deck is supposed to look like, and uh, without having Lurith in the deck as well, like, Culture Complete made made an appearance. We see, um, sometimes we see Steel Shaper's Gift in the deck. Spell Pierce has been a lot more popular. Um, still a solid deck, though. And then, uh, also in the top eight, we had Mill, which, this, this is another one of those decks that, like, has not seen really any huge updates in a while. I mean, the biggest one is Ottawara, the Soaring City, which is obviously a great card. But, you know, besides that, this deck is basically unchanged. Um, you know, there's this version of the sideboard copy of Baleful Mastery, which I haven't seen. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty uh, cut and dry there. So, um, Dream Mac Dallas, uh, once again, it seems like it went well. Uh, shout out to Anarod, by the way. I don't think we actually said this, but, you know, doing the uh, coverage and helping them out, setting them up, uh, I think it, what from what I watched of it was really entertaining and high quality, so um, hopefully we see him doing more stuff. If you do want to support Anarod, who's, you know, friend of both of us, um, admittedly, um, definitely you can support him on Patreon. Um, I think he's doing a great job and I would love to see more coverage myself. Alright, well let's go across the pond. Um, that's probably not... By the way, when we say across the pond, we definitely mean to England, right? We don't mean... We don't mean to Europe in general? Typically, yeah. <sighs> okay. okay, let's go... I wasn't and... going to call you out on it. No, it, it needs to be called out, because otherwise it's going to be in there and people are like, does he not know that that's not London? Um, where, so they had the Four Seasons event. Where Where is this? Uh, Bologna. In Italy. <laughs> okay. To, to, to clarify, because not everyone probably knows where that is. So this Bolognese tournament, um, we had a couple of main events. Uh, we're obviously not going to talk about vintage, because we're not a vintage podcast, fortunately. Uh, but we will talk about modern, we'll talk about legacy. Um, I don't want to go too far on modern, because we just talked a lot about modern here um, you know, for the last 30 or 30 minutes. Uh, but the event was won by Living End, which I think, I, I don't think I mentioned it before, I think that's probably the, one of the best decks in the modern format right now um, as well. Um, not surprised to see that win. Uh, we also had a couple copies of Blue Red Murktide, which, you know, I think I, I think we're getting to the point where you can just call it like Blue Red Shredder instead. I think that we're seeing the numbers on Ledger Shredder um, go from a two of to like a three of. And to add the third copy, we're cutting a copy of Murktide Regent. 
which in my mind feels counterintuitive, right? Because like, if I'm going to put cards in my graveyard, that's perfect thing to delve. But I think it actually makes a lot more sense in terms of, um, you know, being able to commit threats to the board. I think it makes a lot of sense to be cutting the Merc Tines, which is odd. It feels weird, but I think it's definitely correct. Um, and also the unlicensed horses, which continue to be a monster in the modern format. Yeah, cutting cutting Merktides for for Ledger Shrouder makes a lot of sense to me. Also, very unsurprising to see Living End win and to see uh, the second place player, um, Andrea Paimonti, in the top eight. Uh, it's Paiganti on Twitter, for those who don't know, and I feel like at least every day, every other day, he's posting, like, I've got a trophy with this build of blue-red. Definitely, uh, well, Paimonti is definitely, or Paiganti, rather, is definitely a really good follow if you're interested in blue-red content. It's just always a constant good update, update to the deck and good reasoning there, so definitely a good thing, good person to follow. Um, also, that's a couple, another copy of the Four Color Elemental deck, uh, which we talked about last week. Uh, Rodrigo Tagoris playing... Uh, gold old amulet, which I I, I I want to say I'm surprised. I actually don't think I've ever realized that uh, Rodrigo Tagoras plays modern. I don't know why that never really clicked. Um, yeah, so Tagoras has been a. I mean, he just plays it all. So shout out to Tagoras. I know he listens to the cast as well. Um, but just an all around great player. And yeah, he. I think he just plays everything. I don't think I've ever actually seen him post about standard. Uh, but plays Vintage, he actually top-hated, they had a team event on Friday, um, and I know he top-hated, or his team top-hated with him in the Vintage seat. Uh, awesome. He's got great, he's got great deck choices. I think we're actually on the same deck in all, <laughs> in all three of those formats right now, because Legacy, I'm pretty sure he was on Grixis Breach, which I don't play much Vintage. Mm -hmm. or, but when I do, that's the deck that I've been on lately. Yeah. Uh, and Legacy, he... he Plays a variety of things, but has been on green white depths, or was on green white depths for a while. I think he played um, the the Blood Moon Stompy deck in this event, but we'll just call him a green white and ant player. Two decks I love. Uh, <laughs> and then in modern, he plays Amulet, which is perfect. I can't remember what he plays in Pioneer, but it's, I'm just gonna say that it's Phoenix or Mono Green, so that we can stay buds. <laughs> Yeah, we we hopefully hopefully that sounds good. Uh, so shout out to Tagoris, uh, especially if you're listening. Um, but I mean, fairly stock list, uh, nothing super spicy here. Uh, but I do like, and I kind of mentioned this before. Right? I do like the idea of having this member in the deck. Um, you have uh, expedition map to find uh, Bethesda if you need to, but this member is a really easy way to take a Magus of the Moon off the board if you need to. So uh, definitely a good choice there. I don't think you can see a list that has two amulets, or not amulets, two Azusas and call it stock for what it's worth. I would definitely say stock would imply one Azusa. Okay. So, I mean, the rest of the deck is pretty reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're, we're used to seeing, like, the one Crumbling Vestige. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of small things you can argue. I don't think there necessarily is a super stock bill of amulet right now. Um, you know, this build has things I like, things I don't. But I was talking to somebody about this recently. I feel like every build of Amulet is within a couple cards from each other, but we all have very passionate takes on what, like, what we like and don't like. Um, mm -hmm. 
like I personally I would rather see the third explore over the second Azusa. I also don't really understand the two Gruel Turf, two Celestia Sanctuary split. I think you are often better off having the three Sanctuary versus one Gruel Turf. Uh, when you need red mana, you're going to find red mana more often anyways because of the Valakuts, which you're incentivized to get. So oftentimes you're going to have the Valakut in play, and then you just need white mana. It's very it's very rare that you would ever search for a Gruel Turf. So. Yeah, this is like a... I feel like at some point we need to get... <laughs> I was about to say, we need to have an episode of Titan Talk. I'm like, no, that's, that's literally a, a whole other podcast, so... But I feel like we need to get a, another Titan player on here to talk Titan nuance uh, one, one of these days. I mean, I can talk Titan nuance. <laughs> well, I know you can, but I'll embarrass myself talking <laughs> about Titan for too long. Um, a couple other cool decks in the top eight here. Uh, we did have copy of the I, I, I want to call it like it's mono blue right I mean it's blue red I guess technically they're playing they're blue playing golf blast they are and like they're playing wear tear on the sideboard so like but calling it just guy feels not correct um, it really is a, a blue affinity deck like you are playing things like thought monitor you're playing thought cast uh, sojourner's companion so you've got a lot of those affinity uh, incentives uh, playing thigh so uh, I think this deck the sign is really cool I have not seen that in affinity before no I've I played I think I played against a deck like this a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week I guess at this point this, the last couple weeks have been a blur for me honestly but um, I, I do think if you're going to be spewing out creatures and drawing them pretty quickly with you know your eight you know divination spells right like I think it makes sense to have thigh in the deck I do like that. Like, it makes a lot more sense than having something like Emery, for example. Um, so I like this deck. Um, you know, another copy of the Hammer deck, which, you know, we've seen a lot of. We've seen another, cop another copy of uh, Blue Red Murktide. Um, always the one copy of Tron, just hanging out, keeping everybody kind of honest, putting giant... Little Mogs, the new gets into play, ruining people's experiences. Who doesn't love a good Tron player? Me. Yeah, me either. Uh, <laughs> and um, besides that, we also did have some Legacy, too. And I, I do want to talk about the Legacy just because I, I just think the Legacy format was sweet. Uh, just because this actually did have eight different archetypes here uh, represented in the top eight, which I think not something you normally see. In a, in a big event, especially nowadays in Legacy, I think we're so used to Blue-Red Delver being dominant that, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's three copies of this deck. And then, uh, but, you know, the fact that we get so much diversity here, I think it's great. And also the fact we get to lead off with Javier Dominguez playing Cephalid Breakfast um, after talking about him on the show, what, two weeks ago? Uh, it's really cool to see this deck also in first place. Yeah, I was uh, pretty excited to see this. You know, I I don't have much to say that I didn't <laughs> didn't say when we talked about him two weeks ago, but it, it is just great to see um, one just a world class player playing Legacy. That's always really nice. Like you know, we have a lot of players in the Legacy community who I think of as great Legacy players, and that doesn't mean that they aren't 
just great players in general, but like you only see them play Legacy. But it's really nice when you see these players who are like known for other formats just kind of showing your format some love, you know? Like obviously Javier is not new to Legacy, but like, you know, think of him as like a, just kind of an all around player, right? Because he yeah. plays a lot of standard, he plays a lot of modern, he was world champion. So seeing somebody like that just like crushing Legacy too, it, I don't know, it just always makes me feel a little bit happy, a little warm inside. And he even mentioned, too, like, Cephalid Breakfast is, like, his deck. Like, this is the deck that he loves to play in Legacy. So to see him not have to play Delver, not have to play, um, you know, the wheel deck, right? Like, just being like, I'm going to play my deck, I'm going to have a good time, and, oh, I got, like, I won. Awesome. Like, I think that's a really cool experience. And I think that's always something that makes us, as Legacy players, feel, you know, kind of cool. Like, I think it's always cool to win with your favorite deck. So, um, second place, um, by the way, this whole event is just, like, insane value, um, well, insane competition, rather, because, like, Andrea Mangucci was second place <laughs> playing, playing eight cast, which is, like, I feel like making it to this final has to be difficult if those are the two people you had to get through. Uh, so it is worth noting that the top four did split. Okay. Uh, so, their placement was, uh based off of just standing at the end. I do, I do not believe they played it out. Okay. Um, n- not to take away from them. Obviously, Mangucci is great. Uh, big Mangucci fan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of crushed it. He went 7-0 throughout the Swiss. Good. Yeah. And I think 8-cast is another one of those decks that has been kind of on the decline as far as representation has been concerned. Um, so, you know, having it in injury of Mangucci's hand obviously probably helps. Uh, but, you know, this deck is, yeah, I think one of those decks that people have been, I don't want to say sleeping on, but has definitely gone off some people's radar, so it's good to kind of keep people in check with this deck. Okay, did you see his tweet about the deck? Um, I'm going to say no, just so you say it. Okay, so we're going to play a game on air. Uh, the Mox Amber. He tweeted that this card was either really good or really bad. Which one was it? Really bad. What makes you say that? Because uh, I remember this tweet now. Um, he was saying... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that ruins the game. Yeah, I think he was saying that like it, the uh, mana ability from it very rarely came up, and he would have rather had a Shadow Spear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that is exactly what he said. Okay. But, you know, I... I appreciate seeing him try stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Mox Amber, I saw it, I was like, oh, that's definitely interesting. And I could definitely see the idea behind it. It seems smart. And Shadow Spear is really good, though. It, like, mm-hmm. But sometimes it just feels win more. So I, I do get cutting it. But yeah, I, I would keep the Shadow Spear in too. And obviously that's the conclusion he came to. The, the only thing that... I agree with that, but the only thing I think is that Trample is such a good ability that I think it's worth having it as an option for you, especially because I think Elvis is a deck that is well-positioned right now, um, and I, I don't think you want to get your huge constructs locked behind um, a, a disappearing blocker every turn. So I, I do yeah, think no, that I, Trample is a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with playing it. I also think that the lifelink... Uh, is often relevant against Delver. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I shouldn't say often, but, like, if you can't maintain a sigh for whatever reason, then it becomes very relevant. Yeah, and, like, I think that that can very easily get a, a number of constructs in the battlefield or, you know, just even with just one construct that's a 7-7 seven, seven or 6-6. Six, six. Um, you know, you bounce the, their one Murtide region that's an 8-8, eight, eight, and now you can trample over their, um, you know, 3-3 three, three or 3-2. Three, I think that's a huge game, so... And I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, Shadow Spear. I think it's a good a good call in general. But I, well, you're right though. I do like the idea that we're trying out Mox Amber, trying to try out new stuff in general. Uh, it's good to try to innovate. Um, rounding out the rest of this, we did have this deck. I thought was kind of cool. It's um, a Death Shadow Ledger Shredder build. I, it's the idea of it makes a lot of sense, right? It, because if you're trying to talk about a deck where Ledger Shredder could be really good, having it in a deck that is hyper-efficient, that is playing free spells such as Snuff Out, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I think that's a really good idea. Um, the only thing about the deck that I'm kind of confused about is the fact we're not seeing Mishra's Bobble here. I think this is a deck that you would want Mishra's Bobble in your Ledger Shredder deck. I think you want it in your Death Shadow deck in general, but it's not here, which is okay. Um, but I, I like the look of this deck. Like, this is definitely something I would be interested in seeing. I mean, I think Death Shadow in Modern is not a good place to be. I've, I've tried that, and getting my Death Shadow Solitude is one thing I'm not going to be doing for a while. Uh, but I think in Legacy, it's not a bad place. I don't think Source of Posture is as popular as um, Solitude is in Modern, so... I'm interested to see how this deck really plays out. I might actually try this myself. I mean, I think the player literally just ran out of room. Uh, I'm not opposed to including Mistress Bobble. You, I mean, you know that I'm a fan of the card. It does obviously work really well with Ledger Shredder. It works surprisingly well with Delver Secrets for a card that's not an instant or sorcery. Um, but the deck is just so full of cards. <laughs> like, they only had room for two expressive iterations. Like, how can you expect to fit bobbles in, you know? Yeah, I think at, at some point you're right. I, I mean, like, you'd have to be cutting... Jeez, I'm not even sure. Like, I actually, you're not cutting daisies, you're not cutting Force of Wills. Like, maybe you're cutting, like, Delver Secrets at that point, or cutting Thought Seizes. Like, yeah, you're probably right. But I'm actually pretty okay cutting. with cutting the Delvers. I do think the Delver is kind of the weakest threat here. Mm-hmm. But, again, you know, your, if your game plan is to be super efficient, then having the one drop does help. But, I, I don't know, like, Ledger Shredder does enough to win games on its own and then backed up by the Merktides and Death Shadows. Like, you, you shouldn't have a problem closing out games. So I, I, I could see Delver going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a deck I'm going to try out uh, this week. Uh, I just think it, it is interesting, and I think whenever you have the Shadow decks, I think it's worth giving them a shot. Cause I constantly feel like the Legacy version of Shadow is, like, one or two cards away from being correct, and we're always a little bit off. So if Ledger Shredder is the card that kind of pushes it over the edge, I'm interested in at least trying it. Um, and once again, we don't want to go way over and i know we still have some other things to talk about but um we do have merfolk in the top four 
Are you surprised to see Tur- Merfolk in a <laughs> top eight of a tournament in 2022? I am. Merfolk is like this weird deck where whenever I see it, I'm like, or whenever I think about it conceptually, I'm just like, oh, that has to be good. There's so many islands right now. I just think about like back to when Merfolk used to kick the crap out of Delver. At least that's how I remember it going. And then just, I don't know. I will try it out every now and again. I'm like, oh, this deck is really bad. Or like I'll get paired against it when I'm on Delver and I'm just like, this is not close. <laughs> like I have lightning bolts and pyroblasts and what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> long story short, definitely a surprise, but, you know, good on them. Yeah. Uh, I'm much less surprised to see green-white depths in the top eight. That seems a little bit more on brand for me. Uh, yeah, not... some interesting choices. I I have mixed feelings about the tireless tracker. Uh, that is a card I love. I can see it being pretty good if, like, Jeskai is super popular, Right, like, I know that they shut down your draws, but even just being able to draw on their turn through uh, through Narset is, like, kind of good. Mm-hmm. And just kind of having that card advantage, at, like, that survives through all the board wipes, I think is pretty strong. I can see that. Uh, we do have, let's see, uh, four-color control, I guess, is probably the best way of saying this um it is you're, you're playing jace you're playing baleful strix playing colgate's command you're not playing the uh Hidesugo's nonsense enchantment saga thing um it's tom it's thomas mar who's so like a thomas mar rather so i'm sure the deck is good but this looks like a pile of control stuff so I don't know. I don't know, Thomas. If you can, if you can help me out here, it'd be much appreciated. Uh, you're winning most of the games through uh, Snapcaster Mage and Baleful Strix beatdowns, or maybe you're winning with the Jason Mind Sculptor Ultimate. But these games are slow and painful, and uh, we hate people who play creatures here. Yeah, this stuff brings back good memories of uh, check pile mirrors. <laughs> oh God, it's awful. Uh... Dude, I had so much fun with check pile mirrors. Which is weird, because I, I feel like I'm not somebody who loves mid-range decks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, man. That was... And I also really, really, really wanted Deathrite banned. But, like, oh, that was, those were good times. The, the one thing I will say that is really sweet here is that you do get to play the Live the Dream with Teferi, Time Raveler, plus, and then uh, him during their uh, draw step. I don't know how you can say the one thing that's sweet. Like, like you're not looking at the deck and thinking that every card in this deck is sweet. Oh my gosh. I mean, there, there definitely are some really cool things, but that is that has to be among the coolest things you can do here. Um, then we also have... I mean, it's, it's just Blue Red Delver, which is fun. But once again, the fact that it's only one copy of Blue Red Delver, I think is really... Nice, I guess, is probably the best way of saying it. Um, I do like the Maddening Hex in the sideboard. Um, Tubo actually did write a little write-up about um, his experience you know, playing this deck in the tournament, how his tournament went, where it kind of came with the numbers on. Uh, if I can find it, I'll try to put that in the show notes, just because I think it was an interesting and relatively short read. Um, but, you know, nothing super spicy. The the one thing that I, a couple things that I thought that were interesting were... Uh, playing two steam vents instead of like the first island, um, 
just the reasoning was just he didn't want to play, or he wanted to make sure he maximized the ability to play turn one Dragon Rage Channeler, and the island obviously doesn't allow that. Um, playing the one copy of Spell Pierce uh, over the copy of Pyroblast in the main deck, just because he wanted a more open, um, in a more open meta, um, he wasn't sure what to expect and didn't want to commit to the fact that there'd be a lot of blue decks, which I think was a pretty decent read, um, just judging this off the top eight. Um, then also talking about um, the fact he wasn't expecting a lot of graveyard decks, um, wasn't expecting a lot of uh, reanimator, wasn't expecting a lot of, um, you know, eight mulch, anything like that. So I uh, cut the surgical extraction from the board um, and actually doesn't have any graveyard hate, period. Um, ironically, ends up playing reanimator round one, ends up playing against eight mulch in round two. Uh, really wishes he had <laughs> the third trigger distractions, but uh, ended up pulling out both those games 2-0. So, uh, overall, pretty cool. But I do like the idea of having the Maddening Hex. Um, he was saying he brought it in for the matchups versus uh, Jeskai Control, just because if they're going to try to can cantrip through their deck, um, it's a really easy way to make sure that they can't just do that ad nauseum, um, being able to punish them for you know casting three Ponders and four... Um, Thor's the Plowshare or something like that is uh, a really interesting way of attacking them, especially since, you know, I'm, I'm used to doing something like a um, Court of Cunning, right? Which is blue, which means it gets Pyroblasted. Um, Matting Hex being red actually is really nice there because you don't have to worry about Pyroblast. So I think that's actually a, a huge benefit as well. Really wish uh, people could actually play Maddening Hex online. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's ridiculous it's maddening that you can't actually um, Dude, there are so many currency converter decks i would like to try out and i just can't yep i it's a weird thing because we all know that we want to play these, these cards and we're like <laughs> nah we 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 don't have that it's like but but you could like yeah, we probably could figure it out so you so you will oh no 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 we're not doing that uh but like if you have the ability to put you know ancient silver dragon into well, I guess maybe they don't, actually. I guess the Commander Legends cards, I know they're not all in. They're not all coming to Moto, so maybe they can't actually put some of the dice cards in. That seems unlikely, though. But anyways. Um, yeah, in the last eight plays, uh, Angelo uh, Kadai playing the uh, Hull Breacher deck, which, you know, who doesn't love a good Hull Breacher? Um, noticeably uh, playing... Just one copy of Days Undoing. I think I, I'm used to seeing like two copies or something like that. And well, they're not actually playing Whole Breacher. No, they're they're not. They're they're playing the four copies of Narset instead. So I guess it, they're more of a control deck that happens to have that little synergy in it more than they are trying to Whole Breacher people. You're right. And playing three dressed down like a monster. Oh man, who hurt them? Also, the Ruination on the board, too. I love that. All right. Um, so, all through four seasons. Definitely, a, that's a bucket list event. I would like to play in one of those one day, but we'll... I was thinking about flying to this one, but uh, my wife is, you know, still in school for another couple of days, and she would have been very mad if I flew to Italy without her. Very mad. Dude, I want to. I shop around a trip to Italy, and my, my wife is still mad. It's been years, still mad about it. 
brings it up whenever we get to, get a chance. I'll we'll like watch something. I'll be like, oh, I've been. <sighs> She's like, say it, honey, say it. <laughs> Where have you been? I'm like nowhere, nowhere. I haven't been anywhere. It's not a big deal. Um, a couple things I wanted to talk about before we got out of here. Um, first thing is they made some bands to pioneer. I, I obviously we know we're not a pioneer podcast, um, but they banned two cards: uh, Winota, Jonah of Forces, which has been a scourge of the format for a long time. The cards are really, really powerful. Um, but they also banned Expressive Iteration, which I think is really um, interesting, at least for us in modern and legacy land. Uh, for Expressive Iteration, they said that Expressive Iteration has been a multi-format all-star since its release in Strixhaven School of Mages. It has fielded a variety of highly special, uh, successful is it strategies in Pioneer by providing both card selection and card advantage at a much higher rate than it than what is available to other decks, making it extremely difficult for other strategies to engage them in wars of attrition. Um, they have talked about this, and, you know, reading on, they also talk about the fact that, um, you know, it has a, a, decent, a decent win rate, the is it decks in general, and they wanted to bring the, the win rate further in line with the rest of the format, um, they're not touching treasure crew. They're not touching dig through time because they want to keep those unique to the pioneer format. Um, so they're just getting rid of expressive iteration. But I think, do you read anything into this in, in terms of what we could potentially be seeing in modern or legacy? Like, does any of what they say here for expressive iteration kind of extend to our formats? I mean, I would have read into it, but they literally went on to address legacy later on. And it sounds like they are happy with where Legacy is. I think that's kind of nonsense, personally. Um, my thing is, you can argue that the format is healthy. You can point out that Delver's win rate is normalizing. But I don't think that's fair unless you look at the format holistically, right? Like, you have, um, like, Matthew Vuk just won a challenge playing six Pyroblast effects in his 75. There's people main decking anywhere between one and four copies of Pyroblast. Like, Green White Depths is splashing red for Pyroblast largely to beat Delver. I mean, it's not really just for Delver, because you could beat Delver with just white, but, like, mm. you know, the fact that people are, like, going out of their way to play Pyroblast, people are going out of their, um, their way to do things like Leyline of the Void and Rest in Peace. Like, there was an Enchantress deck that just top-aided one of the challenges playing Rest in Peace, and that would... Never happen if Merktide Regent wasn't one of the premier threats, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they're happy with where Legacy is. Personally, I think that's ridiculous because you can look at the numbers, but the numbers are only okay because people are bending over backwards to make them okay. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that is a huge thing that people talk about before in the... Uh, Ravager Affinity metagame, right? This was a format where people are main decking uh, things like Shatter, or main decking things like Viridian Shaman, uh, Oxidize the main deck card in basically every deck that can run them, including the Ravager Affinity deck, and then Ravager will still be four or five of the top eight of any given standard event um, at that time. And this is kind of the same thing we're seeing here, where you know, regardless of what you're doing, and obviously the four seasons event, for example, like you, you only saw one copy of Delver in the top, top eight. I think with Magic Online, we're not seeing that though. It, it normally is two or three of the slots 
um, with any given challenge. So yeah, I'm a little less uh, <laughs> likely to believe this stuff. This does kind of scream of someone who doesn't... You know, once again, this is, this is a, a joint effort by Michael Majors and uh, Ian Duke. So it, this does kind of scream of not being aware of what's going on in the format or not, I guess, turning a blind eye to what's happening in the format. Like, I guess on the surface, like, you do see, like you said, Enchantress made a top eight. Cool. Reanimator made a top eight. Cool. It's just, like, that's very misleading. Um, like, I think the fact, and this is another kind of your point, too, like, I think the Model Black Depths deck, which we talked about last week, um, has been doing really well because I think it's a really good place to be right now having main deck Leyline of the Void and main deck, uh, you know, Dot the Voidwalker. I think they're both very good cards in their own right anyways, but, like, the chances that you spike a Leyline of the Void versus your Delver opponent on turn one, or, you know, turn one, game one, is just insane upside. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's... I'm not, I don't know if I'm on board with this. Um, they said something similar about this in Modern, too, uh, just to read that little excerpt. Um, the Modern metagame continues to grow to show great playstyle diversity with aggro, tempo control, uh, and ramp all represented in the 10 most played decks. The most played deck is that Murktide represents about 10% of the Magic Online metagame and hovers about around a 50% win rate. The top deck shows strengths and weaknesses against each other, and there looks to be plenty of room for less popular rogue decks to be successful. That also feels not correct. Um... I'm, I believe them that is it Murktide is the most played deck. I think that's partially because no one can afford the four color Omnath deck. I am really interested to see what the what the win rate of that deck is. Yeah, I, I would be vaguely curious. I don't know. I, I do think Modern is relatively healthy though. Yeah, I think it's in a better spot than, than Legacy is. Yeah, I so if the format were to be shaken up, I would be fine with that, but I do think you see kind of enough churn. Like, I I think you, know, you do have choices, like, from week to week, and I do think you, you are seeing the same decks kind of do well consistently, but I think there's enough of variety between them that I'm not upset about it. If the the thing that really alarmed me though is the fact that we're in that little bit about pioneer right they talk about the fact there's a diverse number of is it strategies and then you go to modern and there's a diverse range of is it strategies and the most popular deck is is it Murktide? and then you go to legacy and just the number of decks that just decide you know what i'm gonna play expressive iteration like we saw in the four seasons event the shadow deck was really just playing two expressive iterations because they could play expressive iteration. And I, I think it makes more sense for them to be playing that bobble, right? The Mishra's bobble. But it's not a two-for-one. It's not a huge a thing of card advantage. Like, I'm just going to play expressive iteration, even if that does kind of stretch my mana race uh, beyond what it probably should be doing. Like, I think that's just where you are with that right now. It's just the card's so powerful. It's like, why why would you not be playing it? And obviously, I'm, I'm speaking as someone who's been playing you know, Blue Red Delver for as long as you believe possible. Like, uh, I'm not going to keep playing. I'm going to keep playing until they say I can't play it anymore because the card's just bananas. But um, it it is 
interesting to say that you know they are you know keeping an eye out for potentially unhealthy and unfun play patterns um, when decks are just jamming expressive iteration into every shell humanly possible. Also, when Murktide Regent is so unfun on both sides of the table, I just yeah. I, I know I said it like the last five weeks in a row, but I'm just like really over exactly that card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and like that's another it's another one of the cards that like the cost is really not that high. Like you just have to have a graveyard you don't really care about. That's fine. Um, so I don't know. Once again, I, their criteria is very different than our criteria. I'm interested to see where they kind of come by the end of the summer. Because uh, I do... I do think with the, when we see a lot more people going up, because I think normally I could be wrong, too. I guess uh, this is a question for Joe Dyer, but I'm pretty sure the number of people playing the events goes up during the summer, but I could imagine it going down, I guess. But I, I thought it went up. Uh, I think once we get into the summer... Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, I think once we get into the summer events, I, I'm interested to see kind of what... what kind of shakes out and see if we get any changes before the fall comes. Uh, last notes. Um, things I want to make sure we, our listeners know. Uh, one, you're listening to this episode when it came out at 6.01 on June 8th. That's not true. You're probably listening to this at your own convenience. Um, but on June 8th, the All Access Pass comes back um, on Magic Online, it runs from June 8th to June 25th. That means you can play every expensive, nonsense deck you want on Magic Online, except, you know, the Secret Layer and Battle Bond and, like, Old Frame Power 9 stuff. Uh, but you get to play whatever you want. So I'm probably going to be playing that 14,000 ticket uh, Omnath deck. I'm probably going to be playing um, all my Earth of Sagas and my Ledger Shredders and my. Renin sixes like I'm I'm pumped. Twenty five bucks, I get to play whatever I want for what two weeks. I'm down. I'm excited. Uh, I'm also excited about the twentieth anniversary series play in events. So this is a whole lot of stuff here, but um, there essentially is a event that you can play from June 9th to June twenty fifth, twenty fourth. Every four hours, they have. Um, a number of events. Uh, the first couple days are Legacy, so that's uh, June 9th and 10th. Um, June 13th and 14th is Vintage. June 17th to 18th is Modern. And June 21st to 22nd is Pioneer. Um, you can also play Limited if you want to. Uh, sealed Deck, either Masters 25, Vintage Masters, Modern Horizons, or Modern Horizons 2. Um, you win pretty sweet prizes for these, actually. Like, you know, it's like for constructed, it's 150 play points to enter. If you get four match wins, you get uh, 300 play points. If you get um, five match wins, you get 450 play points, six treasure chests, 20 QPs, and a constructed finals entry token. Um, if you, this is what I'm kind of pumped about though. If you you get avatars, which I know we're not huge avatar fans, but uh, if you get two of these final entry tokens by going either four one or five zero. Uh, you get a Heroes Remembered Avatar, uh, which uh, makes you gain 20 life. Oh, cute for the 20th anniversary. Uh, if you get four of these final tokens, final entry tokens, you get a Inferno of the Star Mounts Avatar, 20 damage. Cute. Uh, but if you get six final entry tokens, you get a Dark Depth Avatar, uh, which is 
Merit Lage's Magic's Only 2020. So that's cool. Um, that is the secret goal for, for me and Mapson. We'll see if we actually get there or not, but that is... It's clearly not a secret, and I also clearly don't have time to play in enough of these events. Uh, what's almost certainly going to happen is I'm going to get, like, five, and I'm going to be furious. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, um, also, I, yeah. also, I just... I have to complain about this. Sure. Um... The, sh the last showcase challenge that I qualified for, we still haven't gotten our avatars for that. We still don't even know what they are yet. And they have announced these. <laughs> I feel like I'm not going to give them to you. That, it's just so ridiculous. Like, that was over three months ago? Mm -hmm. And I still don't even know what I'm supposed to be getting? And yet, <laughs> and yet I have a feeling these people are going to get theirs, like, right away. Yeah, I'm very convinced they are, yeah. I don't, I don't know what that's about. It, that's weird to me. I think it's just an oversight that they refuse to acknowledge. Anyways, if you... <laughs> um, if you end up getting one constructed uh, finals entry token and a limited constructed finals token, uh, limited finals entry token, uh, you get to play in the... I, I want to call it the grand finals, but it's called the 20th anniversary series final. Um... You get to play in a, a, I guess it's a super sealed, I guess that you would call it. It's a six packs of Modern Horizons 2, three packs, oh, you know, no, it's, a, it's just sealed. Um, you get a sealed tournament, uh, six Modern Horizons 2 boosters, which you get to keep, which is super cool. Uh, and first place gets four regular Magical Online digital sets of each vintage legal set. That's, that's everything that's printed on Magical Online besides, like, Brawl decks and like masterpieces and things like that, but uh, four of every card of Magical Line is a, a lot of value. Yeah, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what that adds up to. Like, if you just sell it, like, how many ticks do you get? And then also, like, the most, more recent sets you can trade into GoBots, right? And get, um, yeah, yeah. or not GoBots, you can trade them and two wizards and get like the paper sets which you could probably get more for mm -hmm. yeah i mean but like, also you could just like cancel your mana traders and just like <laughs> yeah i mean that's what i would do like not not close i mean no offense i love mana traders and you know they continue to not be a sponsor of the show but if they want to talk whenever you guys want to um yeah i think like that would be you know, just in terms of being able to save money, being able to, like, quickly build a deck, like, I think that would be just a huge benefit. And But, like, once again, you could you could just, like, sell it and, like, um, with a modern, I'm looking at, like, modern, so total format price for modern. So modern is 731 ticks for one of every card in modern. Um, let's see if I can find it for Legacy Vintage. Uh, vintage format price. No, that's not right. Yeah, that's definitely not correct. Not, not so, correct. for those who cannot see our screen, the number that it's showing us is 256 ticks. Which, is, which I think uh, is like one of every card that's only legal in Vintage, but like that doesn't even make sense too, because like City of Traders is definitely legal in both formats. I don't know. If 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 Zephyr Olive is listening, please explain how scroll, this works. Scroll back down. 
to uh, oh, let me go back. No, just literally scroll down. Don't don't hit back. <laughs> scroll down. Scroll down. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Yeah. No, oh. I'm pretty sure you clicked on the right thing. Yeah. At the very least, it's a lot of money. <laughs> and like, I mean, at the very least, like you know, four copies of uh, Ragavan, right? Is two hundred ticks at least. Like, you know, that that sets you up for a long time if you're not playing Ragavan at all. Like, I don't know, it's huge. Anywho, uh, that should be about it. I think, unless there's something else you wanna you wanna talk about. Nope. All right, well, it is, uh, I think, that time that we hit the dusty trail. Uh, so where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Expedition Map. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Bad Luck Bandit on Twitter. Uh, if you're interested in finding us, the show, uh, we are at Depth underscore Podcast on Twitter as well. Uh, you heard the little blurb in the beginning of the show talking about uh, ways to, various ways to support us. Obviously, we'd love if you could leave a review somewhere, if you could um, support us on Patreon or PayPal, or if you could honestly just, like, you know, message us questions or anything like that. Um, that would be fantastic as well. Uh, but at the very least, um, thank you for listening and stopping by. We always love talking with you guys. So uh, I guess I'll see you next week. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.